Black Wealth Matters, Episode 5, Tiffany Dufu, best-selling author and founder of The Crew. The venture world is quite insular. And for the most part, venture capitalists take meetings with people who they have some kind of connection to. So if you're not a person who's a part of that community, if you don't necessarily have the connections, then you're at a disadvantage. Tiffany Dufu is someone whom I've admired for many years now. She's the author of Drop the Ball, Achieving More by Doing Less. It is a bestseller. And according to Gloria Steinem, Drop the Ball is, quote, important, path-breaking, intimate, and brave. Since publishing the book, Tiffany has also become a founder. She is the founder and CEO of The Crew, a service that uses an algorithm to match circles of women who collaborate to meet their personal and professional goals, bringing science to networking. You just heard her talk about the difficulty in raising her first million dollars for the business. In fact, Black women represent 0.0006% of the over $400 billion in tech venture funding. Tiffany did receive a million dollars for the crew. How did she do it? She walks us through that experience and process in our conversation, and she also goes down memory lane to share pivotal financial memories growing up as a child. Tiffany Dufu, welcome to So Money. Thank you for having me. You know, I missed the opportunity to interview you years ago when your book, Drop the Ball, the bestseller, uh, arrived on the scene. Everyone check out Drop the Ball. I'm sure my listeners have heard of it, but now is probably a better time than any to read your book. I'm dropping a lot of balls, not so much intentionally these days, whereas your book is like, do it intentionally. Tell us a little bit about Drop the Ball in terms of like what's happening right now in the world and, and people feeling like... They have a lot of time, but there's not a lot of time, right? It's like a weird, we're in a weird place right now, Tiffany, where we want to get a lot done, but for whatever reason, it's a very overwhelming time, even though our schedules have been upended. I know. Well, it's challenging because our worlds are colliding in a way that we, many of us aren't used to. So the blend between work and home and life, it's just kind of all one big blob. (laughs) Uh, And so we're spending a lot of time on Zooms and creating boundaries for ourselves has become even more challenging. And of course, that really is at the root. You know, before this crisis hit, it was already difficult, especially for a lot of really busy women to develop boundaries. And at the end of the day, that's in part what you know, drop the ball is all about. Um, you know, to your admission, I did not uh, create a philosophy about how to intentionally drop the ball in the beginning. What happened was that I used to be a person who was very committed to never wanting to drop a ball, uh, feeling a lot of pressure to keep all of the balls in the air. Um, but I had a life changing event. For me, it was the birth of my first child. For some women I speak to, it's you finally got the promotion of your dreams and have discovered it's a lot harder to be the boss. Uh, For some women, it's a diagnosis. For some women, it could be what we're dealing with right now that is causing your balls to just be rolling all over the floor unintentionally. Um, But what I really had to, you know, figure out was, why do I feel all of this pressure? you know, to have all of these balls in the air to begin with, because my really important discovery, uh, I call my aha moments, Tiffany's epiphanies, was that when I did reach a threshold where I couldn't keep it all in the air, and all of the balls were all over the floor, I realized that all of the things that I had been paranoid and terrified were going to happen if I ever dropped a ball, none of those things happened. Like, 
No one ever came to read me my Miranda rights because I hadn't paid the tickets for the alternate side parking. No one ever called to tell me that they don't love me anymore because I missed the party or I didn't text them back. I didn't actually get fired from my job, which was like one of the biggest things I used to always be worried about would happen if I ever dropped a ball. And so I've effectively reappropriated the term. You know, I used to think that dropping the ball meant that I was failing to take timely action, that I was disappointing myself, my community, my family. In my case, as an African-American, I was disappointing the entire Black race of people. Wow, that's a lot of pressure. Oh, yeah. Like if I mess this up, they're never going to hire a black person again. Um, And now I feel that dropping the ball is releasing these unrealistic expectations of why we need to do, you know, everything to begin with and really figuring out how to get clear about what matters most, you know, to you what your highest and best use is and achieving what matters most so that you're not just taking everything that's coming over the fence, but really creating some kind of filter for the noise. And then most importantly, figuring out how to meaningfully engage other people in your life uh, and and get the help that you need in order for you to really be successful, um, which for me was in part very difficult because I used to have a lot of ego and I used to Mm -hmm. not be nearly as vulnerable and think Mm -hmm. I was supposed to have it all together. How do you know which balls to drop? We're going to be re-entering a world, Tiffany, that is very different than the one we were in previous to the pandemic. Are there just some balls that we should just never pick up again? I think it depends on each person. I mean, some of the questions that I ask when I'm trying to figure out what balls I should drop are, you know, is this, does this represent my highest and best use? You know, my highest and best use is a combination of the things that I do extraordinarily well with very little effort you know, combined with the things that only I can do, you know, that it would be callous or highly irresponsible to like delegate um, or, or completely drop. I think it's the emphasis is really on what should I be focused on? What should I be doing in order to achieve, you know, some higher purpose? And what if I let it drop? Um, There may be consequences. In fact, there there are usually always going to be consequences. But you know, are those consequences worth me achieving, you know, some higher purpose? So for example, right now, um, you know, I've always felt that parenting was something that was very important. Um, It's it's a ball that, you know, a lot of people uh, don't feel that they can drop. Um, I've dropped a lot of parenting balls right now because I have a technology startup. I'm raising another round of capital for it. I am positioning myself to have built not just a company that's creating social impact, but also that's a, you know, venture scalable business that will be a multi-billion dollar empire one day. And I feel that that right now for my family, for my community, for the world, me, particularly as a black female founder, that this is what I should be focused on. Um, it means that my kids are spending a lot of time on Fortnite, spending a lot of time on YouTube. Um, you know, they do have another parent, uh, which is very, you know, difficult if you're a single parent. Um, So they have another parent that is helping to manage them. But, you know, even the other day, my daughter came in and she said, mom, you like are working like a lot of hours, like in this room, you know, by yourself. And I said, I am honey right now. I said, this is what I've got to be focused on. And she said, well, what about us? Like, I think that you should be spending more time with me. And I said, I can't do that you know, right now, Uh, I feel like this is my highest and best use. And she says, I think that you're being selfish. And I said, well, one day when, you know, you're asking to borrow my private jet because you and your college friends don't want to fly commercial, (laughs) (laughs) you will not be talking about how selfish. She's like, like, got it. Going back to Fortnite. Yes. 
Yes, yes. So I think that's really important because otherwise you're going to feel in the process of dropping balls an enormous amount of what I call the G word, word which is guilt. Uh, so it's it's less, what am I not going to do? It's first, what should I be laser focused on doing so that when all of the other balls are dropping, I have a rationale for myself, for my family, for whoever else needs me to do something else. That is a real honest admission, Tiffany, to share that moment with your daughter. I don't think um, a lot of people would be willing to share that they disappointed their daughter and they sent her back to the television uh, while they were building, you know, for, for good reason, you know, but there, that guilt, what you talk about is so universal to be able to face that and to say, you know what, you're not going to get the best of me here. I'm going to do what I got to do to support my family. And maybe right now that is a sacrifice, but that jet sounds really good. It sounds really good. And in fact, I actually believe that she is getting the best of me Mm -hmm. because she's seeing that work ethic, you know, is really important. She's seeing the resiliency. You know, I come out in tears when somebody else has said, you know, another venture capitalist, another white man has told me he's not investing in my company. (laughs) Um, So she can see that it requires some rejection resiliency, you know, in order to, you know, make your dream happen. I mean, they're in it with me. And I remember, you know, my mom taking so much of it in. And in fact, me feeling like I never wanted to drop a ball because I never saw, I didn't feel like she was ever dropping any balls. And if anything, I feel that's my responsibility to teach my daughter. You can say no. <laughs> you can say no. You can create boundaries. You can be focused on what you need to be focused on. Um, I don't want her to end up like I was for many years, feeling like I had to take everything on. Well, I'd like to really now talk about The Crew, which is this incredible business that you have launched and raised money for. I want to talk about the difficulties of raising that initial raise of $1 million. You've written about this. and uh, But first, tell us about The Crew. This is really you turning the art of networking for women into a science. Yes. Well, you know, my life's work is advancing women and girls. That's pretty much why I'm on the planet. So I have spent quite a bit of time really thinking about it and listening to women and their challenges. And the crew is really designed to relieve a pain point, which is that women who you know, are highly accomplished, but also just really busy with their lives, maybe their families, their own ambitions, don't necessarily have the bandwidth to cultivate the kind of community everyone says that you need in order to thrive. And so the way the crew works is that you apply for membership and our algorithm matches you with nine other women and you collaborate to meet your life goals together. So it's more like a Weight Watchers, except for more than just your your weight loss goals. Um, You clarify your intentions. That's what we call goals in the crew. It could be, I want to get a promotion. It could be, I want to get more Instagram followers. Uh, We're agnostic to whether your intentions are personal or professional, but you literally upload your intentions into our digital tracking tool along with actions against it and deadlines. And your crew is really there to hold you accountable digitally through crew mobile. You chat with one another, but largely through regular events that we call gatherings where each member takes a turn, giving an update on her intentions. The person on her right is her note taker, 
the person on her left is her timekeeper, and you essentially crew coach one another through a series of open-ended questions that you ask one another to really ensure your success. So the crew is basically, you know, a whisper in a really busy woman's ear, um, not to forget about what you wanted to do and what you need to do in order to really move your life forward. What I really appreciate about the program and its pillars is this this insistence upon sponsorship. You know, it's one thing to give advice. It's one thing to say, I'm going to show you how I did it. But actually leveraging your capital, whether that's social capital, political capital, or actually money to help open the doors for another woman, that's that's really what needs to happen, right? Oh, absolutely. Now, the crew does not require that. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, we have a name for that. We call that a crew move. So if you mm-hmm. do extend, if you make an introduction for someone in your network because they're looking for a job, if you you know, buy a ticket to someone's nonprofit gala because they're trying to raise money for their organization, all of that is you know, the equivalent of really expending your capital. And we call that a crew move. Crew moves are uh, celebrated, uh, and crew members certainly do that for one another. But a crew move is not required in order for you to be an effective crew member. And in fact, we require that it makes you feel warm and fuzzy inside because a lot of women often have the opposite problem, which is we say yes to too many things <laughs> um, too often. The value of a crew is really, and you you don't have to be a member of a crew in order to have a group like this in your life, um, is really three things that, that I think are important and that, that we all kind of need. One is a level of diversity. You know, research really shows that a heterogeneous group of people working together um, can innovate a more dynamic solution. So um, we intentionally match women who are beautifully different from one another by design. Uh, It's a majority women of color community in part because of that. And you're going to get different lenses and different perspectives based on that. And I think that's really important. Um, The second thing is that your crew has a level of objectivity. So in the crew, we talk about cruiseship as very different from friendship. You know, it's a group of people who care about you, but they're not invested in your decision making. They're not your partner or your kid that may not want to get the promotion and move to the new city because they don't want to get a new job or they don't want to move to a new school. It's not the friend who may be compromised by your ambition and what that means for your relationship. It's not the coworker who's also vying for the same promotion. And so coming together on a regular basis with a group of people who are have enough distance that they can provide some objective peer coaching is really important. And then finally, it's the accountability. You know, it's the fact that the next time you see this group of people, you are motivated to have made progress on what you said you were going to do. Let's talk about the fundraise story of the crew. I was reading uh, a short while ago, you wrote for the Dream Lab about the experience of raising um, your initial million dollars for the crew. This is something that as a founder who is a Black woman, Nearly impossible to get. Only 0.0006% of tech venture funding has gone to Black women founders. How did you do it? Well, first of all, uh, I didn't know that statistic going in, which was probably very helpful for me. So I actually didn't realize how <laughs> impossible. How Don't impossible. know what the odds are against you. That's always um, good. Yeah, yeah Ignorance is bliss. Yes, it was very bliss in the beginning. But very quickly, I ran up against the reason why that number is so low, which is that it's a very insular, the venture world is quite insular. And for the most part, venture capitalists take 
meetings with people who they have some kind of connection to. So if you're not a person who's a part of that community, if you don't necessarily have the connections, then you're at a disadvantage. Fortunately, I have a crew. So I understand the value of doing what you called sponsoring. And I knew because I'm the cumulative investment of a lot of people who have poured themselves into me through introductions, through mentorship, through sponsorship, I knew within about three weeks of trying to raise a million dollars that I needed a sponsor. So that's what I looked for. Um, I didn't look initially for the million dollars. I initially looked for who's going to be my Sherpa in this process, meaning who's going to do two things that I need terribly. One, who's going to be able to make some introductions for me into this space and provide me some credibility because of who they are. And number two, who's going to demystify the process? Because I've never been in these rooms before. I don't understand the cadence of these rooms, the line of questioning. I don't understand the signaling that happens. And so I, I mean, you would have thought I was looking for a husband. Okay. Anytime somebody asks me, do you need help with anything? I'm like, yes, I'm looking for a white man who spent some time <laughs> in Silicon Valley, who was like an operator, maybe a founder. Uh, I don't want him to necessarily be a VC because I need for him to have some level of objectivity and being able to make introductions for me. He needs to have his time, some time on his hands. And eventually someone uh, introduced me to, I met a woman named, uh, sorry, a woman, a man named Evan Cohen, uh, who became an incredible sponsor for me in the process. And it turns out that his demystification of what it means to raise money was incredibly important. Literally after a meeting, he would get on the phone with me. He would say, what did they ask you? I would tell him. He would give me insight and advice about what was actually happening in that meeting. And from meeting to meeting to meeting, we finally got to the million. And to raise that million, you need to convince venture capital, this is from your article, that you know, to raise any level of money from VC, you need to be convincing that you can become a $100 million company within seven to 10 years, which is something that you were not sure of, that figure. And so what's your advice to a founder out there who's looking at that $100 million amount and going, I don't know. I mean, I just want to start this small business and grow it. I haven't thought that big. How do you convince someone else that you have that potential? Yeah. So, you know, I think first, for me, certainly, it's about the impact. You know, I already know what's on my tombstone. It said she got to as many women as she could. And so when I think about the kind of change that I want to see in the world as a feminist, as someone who really feels that we should be leveraging women's talent and ingenuity to benefit everybody, it just felt like if I was going to do this, it needed to be big. It needed to reach as many women as possible. I also thought about the model. You know, what you're going to hear a lot is, you know, is your business scalable? Uh, can you, you know, make more money, uh, the more members that you have, or the more customers that you have. And so when I thought about the model and what I was trying to create, I thought, you know, this really is scalable, we can get to a lot of women, we can connect a lot of women, we have a coaching model that will allow them to support one another and driving forth their intentions. And we can do it at a price point that's accessible, which was really important for me, a membership in the crew is $499 a year, it's equivalent of about $42 a month. Uh, you know, the average college educated woman who is in the workforce is making about $55,000, $60,000 a year. I just felt like whatever we did, 
I needed, it needed to be able to reach her. Uh, and so I ultimately decided, yes, this is venture backable. This is a scalable business. How did you learn about money, Tiffany? I always ask this of my guests about their first money memory uh, from childhood that has made an impact, whether that's a good impact or it's just something that has stuck out all these years. Ooh, there are two. One is the idea of saving money. Uh, my father, we had piggy banks when we were growing up and my father was always giving us money to just put in the piggy bank. Um, he gave us money to put in the church collection offering and then he would give us money to put in our piggy bank. And we could not spend it. We either had to give it to the church or we had to put it in the piggy bank. So that was probably my earliest memory. But probably the most profound has to do with my mom who, after my parents divorced, really spun back into a, a cycle of poverty and addiction uh, and violence with her second husband. And my mom had been what I call a non-paid working mom when I was growing up, meaning that she didn't she she just didn't get paid for her labor. She didn't work outside of the home. And so probably the most powerful lesson for me as a woman is that, you know, a woman should always earn enough that she can care for herself and her children, irregardless of her status, you know, with a partner. And I certainly know that that, that informs my desire to um, secure and have financial freedom for myself and for my family. I love that message. That is something that I try to instill in every single woman that I meet. I'm a big advocate for women earning something, uh, even if it's just enough for them to feel like they have options if they're not in a safe relationship. Before we go, Tiffany, something a little newsworthy. I was reading recently a number of headlines about the girl boss movement, which I know I felt I feel very much a part of the girl boss movement. You know, I consider myself a girl boss. Beyonce says we should all call ourselves bosses. Um, (laughs) But it's recently come under some criticism and fire, um, depending on which direction you look, whether that that's, um, you know, the head of Refinery29 uh, stepping down because of accusation of not being inclusive and racial discrimination to co-founder of The Wing, Audrey Gelman, same accusations. The girl boss herself, Sofia Amoroso, stepping away. Um, that seemed to be more of a, a revenue problem happening with girl boss, but maybe time will tell. These stories will come out. But all this to say that there is pontification about what what is the future of the girl boss movement? Is it dead? Was it always problematic because it was not intersectional? And I just want to know, like, if we were two women talking about this over coffee, like, from your perspective, what, what did you take from that girl boss movement? Did you do you feel like there's a lot of room for improvement or that we need to just sort of rethink this idea of the feminist leadership, feminist career movement? Oh, well, you know, if we were having coffee, you know, I would say, listen, I've been in the trenches for a long time um, (laughs) on this. Um, I was a very staunch, inclusive feminist long before it was a sexy thing to be. Um, I've learned a lot from sages in the movement. uh, And while it's always been rife with, you know, its own fiefdoms and its own politics, at the end of the day, it's not feminism if it doesn't include all women. I think that some of the challenges that we're having with the movement are less about feminism or even gender and just more about the competency of people who are, you know, starting companies and movements and and what they're designed to do. Uh, I think that if you are starting a company that's about building community and you've never built community, you know, it's it's possible that there's just a learning curve um, there, despite the amount of money you might have been able to raise. Uh, so I, I think in part, part of it is, you know, it's great to want to 
capitalize on the moment, it's a whole other thing to be qualified Mm -hmm. um, to to build a community, to understand the social dynamics that happen when people come together, especially women. If you don't have an understanding of the mindsets, the behavior, the skills women need to be successful, how we're socialized and conditioned to engage with one another in a way that's going to move us all forward, it's very difficult for you to build community. So um, that building community is very different from building a beautiful space, a beautiful site, Mm -hmm. a beautiful Instagram, you know, page, a beautiful, an amazing following. Uh, They're just different things. Yes, definitely a time of reckoning for all leadership, all businesses. And we thank you for all this incredible work and contribution you're providing, Tiffany. um, Everyone check out The Crew at thecrew.com. Congratulations. And um, we will be rooting for you. Thank you so much. And thank you for your leadership in advancing women. Tiffany Dufu, welcome to So Money. Thank you for having me. You know, I missed the opportunity to interview you years ago when your book, Drop the Ball, the bestseller, uh, arrived on the scene. Everyone check out Drop the Ball. I'm sure my listeners have heard of it, but now is probably a better time than any to read your book. I'm dropping a lot of balls, not so much intentionally these days, whereas your book is like, do it intentionally. Tell us a little bit about Drop the Ball in terms of like what's happening right now in the world and, and people feeling like they have a lot of time, but there's not a lot of time, right? There, it's like a weird, we're in a weird place right now, Tiffany, where we want to get a lot done, but it, for whatever reason, it, it's a very overwhelming time, even though our schedules have been upended. I know. Well, it's challenging because our worlds are colliding in a way that we, many of us aren't used to. So the blend between work and home and life, it's just kind of all one big blob. (laughs) Uh, And so we're spending a lot of time on Zooms and creating boundaries for ourselves has become even more challenging. And of course, that really is at the root. You know, before this crisis hit, it was already difficult, especially for a lot of really busy women to develop boundaries. And at the end of the day, that's in part what you know, drop the ball is all about, Um, you know, to your admission, I did not uh, create a philosophy about how to intentionally drop the ball in the beginning. What happened was that I used to be a person who was very committed to never wanting to drop a ball, uh, feeling a lot of pressure to keep all of the balls in the air. Um, But I had a life changing event. For me, it was the birth of my first child. For some women I speak to, it's you finally got the promotion of your dreams and have discovered it's a lot harder to be the boss. Uh, For some women, it's a diagnosis. For some women, it could be what we're dealing with right now that is causing your balls to just be rolling all over the floor unintentionally. Um, But what I really had to, you know, figure out was, why do I feel all of this pressure? you know, to have all of these balls in the air to begin with. Because my really important discovery, uh, I call my aha moments, Tiffany's epiphanies, was that when I did reach a threshold where I couldn't keep it all in the air, and all of the balls were all over the floor, I realized that all of the things that I had been paranoid and terrified were going to happen if I ever dropped a ball, none of those things happened. Like, no one ever came to read me my Miranda rights because I hadn't paid the tickets for the alternate side parking. No one ever called to tell me that they don't love me anymore because I missed the party or I didn't text them back. I didn't actually get fired from my job, which was like one of the biggest things I used to always be worried about would happen if I ever dropped a ball. And so I've effectively reappropriated the term. You know, I used to think that dropping the ball meant that I was failing to take timely action, that I was disappointing myself, my community, my family. In my case, as an African-American, I was disappointed 
disappointing the entire black race of people. Wow, that's a lot of pressure. Oh yeah. Like if I mess this up, they're never going to hire a black person again. Um, and now I feel that dropping the ball is releasing these unrealistic expectations of why we not need to do, you know, everything to begin with and really figuring out how to get clear about what matters most, you know, to you, what your highest and best use is and achieving what matters most so that you're not just taking everything that's coming over the fence, but really creating some kind of filter for the noise. And then most importantly, figuring out how to meaningfully engage other people in your life uh, and and get the help that you need in order for you to really be successful, Um, which for me was in part very difficult because I used to have a lot of ego and I used to Mm -hmm. not be nearly as vulnerable and think Mm -hmm. I was supposed to have it all together. How do you know which balls to drop? We're going to be re-entering a world, Tiffany, that is very different than the one we were in previous to the pandemic. Are there just some balls that we should just never pick up again? I think it depends on each person. I mean, some of the questions that I ask when I'm trying to figure out what balls I should drop are, you know, is this, does this represent my highest and best use? You know, my highest and best use is a combination of the things that I do extraordinarily well with very little effort you know, combined with the things that only I can do, you know, that it would be callous or highly irresponsible to like delegate um, or, or completely drop. I think it's the emphasis is really on what should I be focused on? What should I be doing in order to achieve, you know, some higher purpose? And what if I let it drop? Um, There may be consequences. In fact, there there are usually always going to be consequences. But you know, are those consequences worth me achieving, you know, some higher purpose? So for example, right now, um, you know, I've always felt that parenting was something that was very important. Um, It's it's a ball that, you know, a lot of people uh, don't feel that they can drop. Um, I've dropped a lot of parenting balls right now because I have a technology startup. I'm raising another round of capital for it. I am positioning myself to have built not just a company that's creating social impact, but also that's a, you know, venture scalable business that will be a multi-billion dollar empire one day. And I feel that that right now for my family, for my community, for the world, me, particularly as a black female founder, that this is what I should be focused on. Um, it means that my kids are spending a lot of time on Fortnite, spending a lot of time on YouTube. Um, you know, they do have another parent, uh, which is very, you know, difficult if you're a single parent. Um, So they have another parent that is helping to manage them. But you know, even the other day, my daughter came in and she said, Mom, you like are working like a lot of hours, like in this room, you know, by yourself. And I said, I am, honey, right now. I said, this is what I've got to be focused on. And she said, Well, what about us? Like, I think that you should be spending more time with me. And I said, I can't do that you know, right now, Uh, I feel like this is my highest and best use. And she says, I think that you're being selfish. And I said, well, one day when, you know, you're asking to borrow my private jet because you and your college friends don't want to fly commercial, (laughs) (laughs) you will not be talking about how selfish. She's like, like, got it. Going back to Fortnite. Yes. 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 So I think that's really important because otherwise you're going to feel in the process of dropping balls an enormous amount of what I call the G word, word, which is guilt. Uh, so it's, it's less, what am I not going to do? It's first, what should I be laser focused on doing so that when all of the other balls are dropping, I have a rationale for myself, for my family, for whoever else needs me to do something else. That is a real honest admission, Tiffany, to share that 
moment with your daughter, I don't think um, a lot of people would be willing to share that they disappointed their daughter and they sent her back to the television uh, while they were building, you know, for, for good reason, you know, but there, that guilt, what you talk about is so universal to be able to face that and to say, you know what, you're not going to get the best of me here. I'm going to do what I got to do to support my family. And maybe right now that is a sacrifice, but that jet sounds really good. It sounds really good. And in fact, I actually believe that she is getting the best of me Mm -hmm. because she's seeing that work ethic, you know, is really important. She's seeing the resiliency. You know, I come out in tears when somebody else has said, you know, another venture capitalist, another white man has told me he's not investing in my company. (laughs) Um, So she can see that it requires some rejection resiliency, you know, in order to, you know, make your dream happen. I mean, they're in it with me. And I remember, you know, my mom taking so much of it in. And in fact, me feeling like I never wanted to drop a ball because I never saw, I didn't feel like she was ever dropping any balls. And if anything, I feel that's my responsibility to teach my daughter. You can say no. <laughs> you can say no. You can create boundaries. You can be focused on what you need to be focused on. Um, I don't want her to end up like I was for many years, feeling like I had to take everything on. Well, I'd like to really now talk about The Crew, which is this incredible business that you have launched and raised money for. I want to talk about the difficulties of raising that initial raise of $1 million. You've written about this. and uh, But first, tell us about The Crew. This is really you turning the art of networking for women into a science. Yes. Well, you know, my life's work is advancing women and girls. That's pretty much why I'm on the planet. So I have spent quite a bit of time really thinking about it and listening to women and their challenges. And the crew is really designed to relieve a pain point, which is that women who you know, are highly accomplished, but also just really busy with their lives, maybe their families, their own ambitions, don't necessarily have the bandwidth to cultivate the kind of community everyone says that you need in order to thrive. And so the way the crew works is that you apply for membership and our algorithm matches you with nine other women and you collaborate to meet your life goals together. So it's more like a Weight Watchers, except for more than just your your weight loss goals. Um, You clarify your intentions. That's what we call goals in the crew. It could be, I want to get a promotion. It could be, I want to get more Instagram followers. Uh, We're agnostic to whether your intentions are personal or professional, but you literally upload your intentions into our digital tracking tool along with actions against it and deadlines. And your crew is really there to hold you accountable digitally through crew mobile. You chat with one another, but largely through regular events that we call gatherings where each member takes a turn, giving an update on her intentions. The person on her right is her note taker, the person on her left is her timekeeper. And you essentially crew coach one another through a series of open-ended questions that you ask one another to really ensure your success. So the crew is basically, you know, a whisper in a really busy woman's ear, um, not to forget about what you wanted to do and what you need to do in order to really move your life forward. What I really appreciate about the program and its pillars is this this insistence upon sponsorship. You know, it's one thing to give advice. It's one thing to say, I'm going to show you how I did it. But actually leveraging your capital, whether that's social capital, political capital, or actually money to help open the doors for another woman, that's that's really what needs to happen, right? 
Oh, absolutely. Now, the crew does not require that. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, we have a name for that. We call that a crew move. So if you mm-hmm. do extend, if you make an introduction for someone in your network because they're looking for a job, if you you know buy a ticket to someone's nonprofit gala because they're trying to raise money for their organization, all of that is you know the equivalent of really expending your capital. And we call that a crew move. Crew moves are uh, celebrated, uh, and crew members certainly do that for one another. But a crew move is not required in order for you to be an effective crew member. And in fact, we require that it makes you feel warm and fuzzy inside because a lot of women often have the opposite problem, which is we say yes to too many things <laughs> um, too often. The value of a crew is really, and you you don't have to be a member of a crew in order to have a group like this in your life, um, is really three things that, that I think are important and that, that we all kind of need. One is a level of diversity. You know, research really shows that a heterogeneous group of people working together um, can innovate a more dynamic solution. So um, we intentionally match women who are beautifully different from one another by design. Uh, It's a majority women of color community in part because of that. And you're going to get different lenses and different perspectives based on that. And I think that's really important. Um, The second thing is that your crew has a level of objectivity. So in the crew, we talk about cruiseship as very different from friendship. You know, it's a group of people who care about you, but they're not invested in your decision making. They're not your partner or your kid that may not want to get the promotion and move to the new city because they don't want to get a new job or they don't want to move to a new school. It's not the friend who may be compromised by your ambition and what that means for your relationship. It's not the coworker who's also vying for the same promotion. And so coming together on a regular basis with a group of people who are have enough distance that they can provide some objective peer coaching is really important. And then finally, it's the accountability. You know, it's the fact that the next time you see this group of people, you are motivated to have made progress on what you said you were going to do. Let's talk about the fundraise story of the crew. I was reading uh, a short while ago, you wrote for the Dream Lab about the experience of raising um, your initial million dollars for the crew. This is something that as a founder who is a Black woman, Nearly impossible to get. Only 0.0006% of tech venture funding has gone to Black women founders. How did you do it? Well, first of all, uh, I didn't know that statistic going in, which was probably very helpful for me. So I actually didn't realize <laughs> how impossible. How Don't know what the odds are against you. That's always uh, good. Yeah, yeah, Ignorance is bliss. Yes, it was very bliss in the beginning. But very quickly, I ran up against the reason why that number is so low, which is that it's a very insular, the venture world is quite insular. And for the most part, venture capitalists take meetings with people who they have some kind of connection to. So if you're not a person who's a part of that community, if you don't necessarily have the connections, then you're at a disadvantage. Fortunately, I have a crew. So I understand the value of doing what you called sponsoring. And I knew because I'm the cumulative investment of a lot of people who have poured themselves into me through introductions, through mentorship, through sponsorship, I knew within about three weeks of trying to raise a million dollars that I needed a sponsor. So that's what I looked for. Um, I didn't look initially for the million dollars. I initially looked for who's going to be my Sherpa 
in this process, meaning who's going to do two things that I need terribly. One, who's going to be able to make some introductions for me into this space and provide me some credibility because of who they are. And number two, who's going to demystify the process? Because I've never been in these rooms before. I don't understand the cadence of these rooms, the line of questioning. I don't understand the signaling that happens. And so I, I mean, you would have thought I was looking for a husband. Okay. Anytime somebody asks me, do you need help with anything? I'm like, yes, I'm looking for a white man who spent some time <laughs> in Silicon Valley, who was like an operator, maybe a founder. Uh, I don't want him to necessarily be a VC because I need for him to have some level of objectivity and being able to make introductions for me. He needs to have his time, some time on his hands. And eventually someone uh, introduced me to, I met a woman named, uh, sorry, a woman, a man named Evan Cohen, uh, who became an incredible sponsor for me in the process. And it turns out that his demystification of what it means to raise money was incredibly important. Literally after a meeting, he would get on the phone with me. He would say, what did they ask you? I would tell him. He would give me insight and advice about what was actually happening in that meeting. And from meeting to meeting to meeting, we finally got to the million. And to raise that million, you need to convince venture capital, this is from your article, that you know, to raise any level of money from VC, you need to be convincing that you can become a $100 million company within seven to 10 years, which is something that you were not sure of, that figure. And so what's your advice to a founder out there who's looking at that $100 million amount and going, I don't know. I mean, I just want to start this small business and grow it. I haven't thought that big. How do you convince someone else that you have that potential? Yeah. So, you know, I think first, for me, certainly, it's about the impact. You know, I already know what's on my tombstone. It said she got to as many women as she could. And so when I think about the kind of change that I want to see in the world as a feminist, as someone who really feels that we should be leveraging women's talent and ingenuity to benefit everybody, it just felt like if I was going to do this, it needed to be big. It needed to reach as many women as possible. I also thought about the model. You know, what you're going to hear a lot is, you know, is your business scalable? Uh, can you, you know, make more money, uh, the more members that you have, or the more customers that you have. And so when I thought about the model and what I was trying to create, I thought, you know, this really is scalable, we can get to a lot of women, we can connect a lot of women, we have a coaching model that will allow them to support one another and driving forth their intentions. And we can do it at a price point that's accessible, which was really important for me, a membership in the crew is $499 a year, it's equivalent of about $42 a month. Uh, you know, the average college educated woman who is in the workforce is making about $55,000, $60,000 a year. I just felt like whatever we did, I needed it needed to be able to reach her. Uh, and so I ultimately decided, yes, this is venture backable. This is a scalable business. How did you learn about money, Tiffany? I always ask this of my guests <clears throat> about their first money memory uh, from childhood that has made an impact, whether that's a good impact or it's just something that has stuck out all these years. 
Ooh, there are two. One is the idea of saving money. Uh, my father, we had piggy banks when we were growing up, and my father was always giving us money to just put in the piggy bank. Um, he gave us money to put in the church collection offering, and then he would give us money to put in our piggy bank. And we could not spend it. We either had to give it to the church or we had to put it in the piggy bank. So that was probably my earliest memory. But probably the most profound has to do with my mom, who, after my parents divorced, really spun back into a, a cycle of poverty and addiction. Uh, and violence with her second husband. And my mom had been what I call a non-paid working mom when I was growing up, meaning that she didn't, she, she just didn't get paid for her labor. She didn't work outside of the home. And so probably the most powerful lesson for me as a woman is that, you know, a woman should always earn enough that she can care for herself and her children, irregardless of her status, you know, with a partner. And I certainly know that that, that informs my desire to um, secure and have financial freedom for myself and for my family. I love that message. That is something that I try to instill in every single woman that I meet. I'm a big advocate for women earning something, uh, even if it's just enough for them to feel like they have options if they're not in a safe relationship. Before we go, Tiffany, something a little newsworthy. I was reading recently a number of headlines about the girl boss movement, which I know I felt I feel very much a part of the girl boss movement. You know, I consider myself a girl boss. Beyonce says we should all call ourselves bosses. Um, (laughs) But it's recently come under some criticism and fire, um, depending on which direction you look, whether that that's, um, you know, the head of Refinery29 uh, stepping down because of accusation of not being inclusive and racial discrimination to co-founder of The Wing, Audrey Gelman, same accusations. The girl boss herself, Sofia Amoroso, stepping away. Um, that seemed to be more of a, a revenue problem happening with girl boss, but maybe time will tell. The stories will come out. But all this to say that there is pontification about what what is the future of the girl boss movement? Is it dead? Was it always problematic because it was not intersectional? And I just want to know, like, if we were two women talking about this over coffee, like, from your perspective, what, what did you take from that girl boss movement? Did you do you feel like there's a lot of room for improvement, or that we need to just sort of rethink this idea of the feminist leadership, feminist career movement? Oh, well, you know, if we were having coffee, you know, I would say, listen, I've been in the trenches for a long time um, (laughs) on this. Um, I was a very staunch, inclusive feminist long before it was a sexy thing to be. Um, I've learned a lot from sages in the movement. uh, And while it's always been rife with, you know, its own fiefdoms and its own politics, at the end of the day, it's not feminism if it doesn't include all women. I think that some of the challenges that we're having with the movement are less about feminism or even gender and just more about the competency of people who are, you know, starting companies and movements and and what they're designed to do. Uh, I think that if you are starting a company that's about building community and you've never built community, you know, it's it's possible that there's just a learning curve um, there, despite the amount of money you might have been able to raise. Uh, so I, I think in part, part of it is, you know, it's great to want to 
capitalize on the moment, it's a whole other thing to be qualified Mm -hmm. um, to to build a community, to understand the social dynamics that happen when people come together, especially women. If you don't have an understanding of the mindsets, the behavior, the skills women need to be successful, how we're socialized and conditioned to engage with one another in a way that's going to move us all forward, it's very difficult for you to build community. So um, that building community is very different from building a beautiful space, a beautiful site, Mm -hmm. a beautiful Instagram, you know, page, a beautiful, an amazing following. Uh, They're just different things. Yes, definitely a time of reckoning for all leadership, all businesses. And we thank you for all this incredible work and contribution you're providing, Tiffany. um, Everyone check out The Crew at thecrew.com. Congratulations. And um, we will be rooting for you. Thank you so much. And thank you for your leadership in advancing women. Be sure to join us Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at So Money Podcast. The So Money Podcast now in its fifth year running, Webby nominated, and the New York Times calling it one of the most respected podcasts out there. Come hang out with us. Promise a lot of fun. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Black Wealth Matters continues.